Let's talk to an old friend of ours, Anand Menon, who hasn't we haven't spoken to much actually since the start of all this uh, pandemic nonsense. Anand, a very good morning to you. Welcome back. Morning to you, Mike. You all right? I'm very well. Are you still celebrating your uh, football team's uh, accession to the Premier League? Well, celebrations are gen- uh, sort of gradually giving way to terror as we face the prospect of <laughs> Liverpool on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's all very well going. Yeah, we're great. We're back. Oh. Ah, okay. Anyway, so I mean, it's a bit like Brexit, isn't it? Because uh, we'd all forgotten about it, to be honest, for quite a long time. And suddenly in the last week or two, uh, we've had uh, Barnier uh, talking about how nobody's been very helpful. Uh, suddenly uh, focuses back on uh, the deal or no deal. What do you make of the story this morning? That There's a there's sort of October the 15th deadline. We love a deadline, don't we? Well, we do. And this deadline makes a bit of sense because it's not a random date. On the 15th, the EU is meant to have a summit. Mm. And I think what the Prime Minister is saying is, we need to have something in the way of an agreement by then so that he can go there, thrash out the final details and then get a deal. I mean, one of the things that's been missing from the Brexit talks because of the pandemic is engagement by the top political mm. leaders. And right. it's only when you get that that you get concessions. And it's only when you get concessions that you're going to get a deal. Right. So as far as you're concerned, um, um, is any kind of deal preferable to a no deal still? Uh, or is Boris right to say, do you know what, if you can't get your act together, we'll just walk away? Well, I don't think the Prime Minister has ever said that no deal is preferable to a deal. Uh, And I think in that sense, he's right. I think what what a deal gives us, I think, is at least two things. One, it helps to mitigate the economic impact of leaving. That is to say, for instance, not having tariffs and quotas is better than having tariffs and quotas for trade. But as important, I think, if these talks collapse without an agreement, the danger is then you end up with a period of mutual recrimination between us and the EU where it becomes politically very difficult for us to have anything to do with each other or to collaborate over anything. Mm. And at a time when you have issues like, you know, the newest Russian poisoning scandal, uh, issues over China, it would make more sense if we were in a situation where we were able to cooperate with our nearest neighbours rather than we were at a standoff with them. Right. Are they in the same sort of place that we are, though? Because politically speaking, Britain has been uh, kind of treading water, hasn't it, in terms of everything aside from coronavirus for the best part of the last six months, really. Um, And presumably Europe has got its own problems there and the European Union specifically has got its own problems because aside from anything else, all of our economies are sort of teetering on the brink. Yeah, I think to the extent that Brexit has fallen down the agenda of politics in this country, it's fallen further and faster in the European Union. And that's one of the problems is a lack of attention to it. But yeah, they've got the COVID uh, pandemic to deal with. They're very focused on the economic impact of that. And they've got this massive budget that they're trying to finalise. So yeah, it's absolutely fair to say that they're distracted. Right. And as far as their attitude is concerned, I mean, Michel Barnier uh, came to London last week. He didn't seem particularly... um, contrite about anything but equally he didn't seem anywhere near as aggressive as he used to be he seemed as almost resigned to the fact that you know this is he's finally accepted that it's happening and he's finally accepted that there may not be much he can do to influence the outcome absolutely i mean i mean monsieur barnier has been quite negative about the talks for quite a long time yeah what was interesting over the weekend was that david frost the uk negotiator did an interview with one of the sunday papers in which he echoed that kind of sentiment he sounded really downbeat and was saying, actually, we're not going to give way. And if no deal is the outcome of that, so be it. So both sides are sounding fairly pessimistic. Now, as we know from the saga of the last three or four years, it, it 
it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to come back together at the 11th hour and come mm. up with an agreement. But I think it's fair to say there are real differences of principle that will make that difficult to achieve. Right. And what sorts of pressures do you think Boris is under within the party itself in terms of, you know, um, he more or less made it a very un uninhabitable place for Remainers in the Tory party. So most of the pressure, I'm assuming, is coming from Leavers who want him to get as hard a deal as possible in maybe even a no deal. Um, but the SNP's already kicking off about it. You know, Nicholas Sturgeon, in rather unparliamentary language, is calling the Tories a bunch of charlatans. Well, he's coming under conflicting pressure from within his party, I think, is the simple answer, because... While you have people like Ian Duncan Smith, who we just heard from, who are pressing for not only no deal, but for unpicking the deal that we have, yeah. which is the withdrawal agreement, there are others, I think, who haven't yet made their voices heard as much, who are slightly nervous about the prospect of no deal, and even more nervous about the prospect of the UK reneging on agreements it negotiated and signed up to only a year ago. Yes, exactly right. So is there any way that you see, for example, the fisheries and the state aid, two of the big issues apparently, uh, which are the main sticking points, ever being surrendered by Boris? Uh, Well, I mean, I'm not sure it's a question of surrender. I can see outcomes on fisheries in particular, less easily on state aid, where both sides give a bit and you end up with an agreement. So if you want to take state aids, for instance, I think the notion that we will abide by EU law and be under the authority of the European Court of Justice is for the birds. Mm. But a notion whereby the EU says, if you are using state aids to undermine competitiveness in the market, we reserve the right to retaliate with tariffs or something like that. I can see that being possible, yeah. Right. And, I mean, in terms of what happens on January the 1st, which is always a difficult day to begin anything, really, since everyone's got a massive hangover and it's uh, a bank holiday (laughs) apart from anything else, what do you, if I said to you, look into your crystal ball, Alan, and tell me what it looks like on the M2 going down to Dover, what does it look like? Well, I think, as you said, on January the 1st, it looks very quiet because everyone is off uh, and there'll be far less trade crossing that border on that day. But I don't think there's any doubt that actually either with the kind of deal we're negotiating or without one, there is going to be significant changes to the way we trade with the European Union. And at best, there are going to be some teething problems over the first few days and weeks. And at worst, there's going to be significant disruption for the medium term because there simply isn't the infrastructure in place. And we're used to trading at a volume that the new arrangement is going to make very, very hard to sustain. Right. And since it was the big question of last week, although it now seems to have disappeared into the ether, like all 24-hour stories in this country, it seems to me, Tony, Abbott, uh, new uh, Brexit negotiator. Is he going to do a good job? Well, he's not a Brexit negotiator. He's going to be a member of the Board of Trade, and he's one of several members of the Board of Trade. But ultimately, uh, it's not going to be down to Tony Abbott, though he might help grease a few wheels, shake a few hands for the government, because he's a former Prime Minister, he has connections. But the most important thing about trade negotiations is going to be what we're willing to offer. And I think we'll find with a lot of trade partners that state aids will be an issue with them too. They're not going to sign up to deals allowing market access if they think the British government is going to unfairly subsidise firms to give them a comparative advantage. So Mm. all trade negotiations are going to be about give and take, about compromise. And the other thing worth bearing in mind is I suspect those trade negotiations will become a lot harder if we do what some are saying and start unpicking an agreement we signed last year because people will start to wonder whether we'll do that to them. Yes, quite. And thank you very much indeed. Alan Menon there, Director of the UK in a changing Europe because what has happened...